Hello and welcome to the fourth in our special election podcast series. I'm Adam Rawcliffe, I'll again be your host for today. So on Saturday, the UK was again victim of a terror attack perpetrated by Islamist extremists inspired by Islamic State. Knife-wielding attackers brought carnage to the bars and restaurant patrons, uh, leaving a confirmed seven dead and 21 fighting for their lives. With two attacks during the election campaigning, uh, the recent incidents seem now more than ever to be an assault on the very institutions that make up our liberal democracy. The response, to me at least, seems different to Manchester, uh, with Theresa May not holding back from identifying the ideological background of the corporates and refusing to postpone the election. Whilst our thoughts are with the victims and admiration is with those who fought back against the corporates, uh, the general election is almost upon us. We go to the ballot box on Thursday and with polls all over the place, predicting everything from a Tory landslide to narrow Corbyn wins and even a hung parliament. Uh, I'll ask our panellists today what will be the deciding factors in this election. Why once again have the Conservatives and the Labour Party emerged as the only really credible parties to elect? And also maybe to take a look north and see how strong the SNP's hold on Scotland is. Uh, can we trust the polls and could we be in for another shock result? Uh, so joining me are a voice you will all know, the Institute of Ideas, Science and Technology Director, Rob Lyons, Jacob Reynolds, a consultant at SHN, and Izzy Lyons, a journalist and frequent contributor to Spiked. Uh, so I think we should start off with reactions to the London Bridge attack. Do we think this reaction is different to Manchester? Uh, do we need to label this as Islamic, Islamist extremism? Uh, and what's not persuading the election mean for democracy? Uh, so, Rob, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I think I think the fact that it's there's been two, or well, I suppose three, in such close um, proximity in terms of these uh, terrorist attacks means that there's much more of a sense of them building up or like becoming a, a, an ever-present problem rather than the occasional sort of lone wolf um, having a go. And and so and so, I think there is a hardening of attitudes to these things. And people do think that something should be done now in a way, perhaps that you know, holding hands, putting a putting a candle in the window, saying love will conquer hate, and doesn't doesn't really seem to kind of quite cut the mustard anymore. And that, and what exactly we should do is much more open to question. But there is a, there is a sense that something has to be done now, and uh, some kind of crackdown has to occur on somebody or something. On the other hand, I think that Theresa May's response, which is seemingly obsessed about online videos and other social media, uh, possibly is just missing the point. And there is a there is a, a problem that isn't easy for politicians to resolve in the sort of three days before an election, which is why young people, or a very small minority, admittedly, but why some some young people think that blowing themselves up or like stabbing people just going out for a night out. Um, is a reasonable thing to do or, or the, the thing that should be the culmination of their lives. And that is obviously a very nihilistic thing to do. And tackling that problem uh, is a bit thornier uh, and has much more to do with you know, our, our belief in our own values as a society. But I think that that is the ultimate long-term solution to this problem. Uh, yeah, Jacob. Yeah, I, I, I think lots of that's right in respect to the difference in the reaction this time around. But something I'm also seeing, and this might just be my experience, but some of the things I'm also seeing is that there's 
uh, an increased sense of like, well, this is the new normal. And there's like, I went into the office today and nobody even mentioned like, if we're any of your friends caught up or anything like that. And I think there's this growing sense that maybe this is something we are just gonna have to live with. And I think that has a positive and a sort of negative aspect. It's negative in the sense of, oh, we should just resign ourselves to this. If it's couched out in those terms, I find it quite negative. But I, I guess there is something to be said for um, maybe at some point, uh, more developed countries in the West are gonna have to adjust themselves to ways of life that have been more common elsewhere, which is just living your daily life and going out in bars and drinking and having a good time. That becomes an expression of your freedom in a way that when there's no threat of anything, those sorts of activities just don't seem particularly important. And I think they take on a renewed importance in the light of recent events. Yeah, to me particularly, this one felt a lot closer to home than either Westminster or Manchester. Maybe that's because uh, I'm a youngish person who could have been at London Bridge. It's quite near where I live as well. Uh, and I actually got really, really angry about this one in response. Do you think anger is a legitimate response, Izzy? Uh, do you think it's a worthwhile or useful response? Yeah, without a doubt. In fact, one of the most frustrating things I find about when you know these attacks happen is going onto Twitter or social media and people telling me to love, not hate. It's like, I have absolutely no qualms in saying that I hate these people, I hate the ideology, and I hate that they feel they have to go out and slaughter innocent people who are simply just enjoying a drink in a pub. And I think I'm quite similar to you that Saturday marked a bit of a turning point for me as well. And I think it's absolutely time that we label this as what it is and it is Islamic extremism and for far too long in this country there's been a climate that's been created by our politicians and a lot of people in official positions where Islam and amongst many other things particularly the extreme fractions of it are put on this pedestal as to say that it should avoid criticism and avoid ridicule and the outcome of that unfortunately is what we're seeing um, unfold on our streets over the past three weeks so I think it's a it's high time that we label this as what it is and not shy away from that Yes, I think a good way uh, to counteract that is restressing the principles which lie at the heart of our democracy, enlightenment, liberal values. Uh, how do we do this? If it seems like the apt time in an election campaign to stress the importance of these things to our politics. Rob, do you think that's worthwhile? Well, I'm, I'm very glad that um, the, the calls that, that popped up on Twitter yesterday for postponing the election have been roundly ignored. That would have been absolutely disastrous. I get what uh, Jacob's saying about the new normal and just like carrying on um, and there's a certain bloody mindedness that, that sort of starts to appear where yeah the first the first thing is a shock the second thing is like well we're just going to get on with it I remember in 2005 um, there was obviously the 7th of July attacks when 50 plus people were killed on London transport two weeks later same same day of the week there was a, another series of attempted attacks but none of the bombs went off and the, and the difference in the attitude was on the 7th of July, everybody was talking to each other, London was coming together, you know, we were all trying to find out what was going on and help each other. 21st of July, is like, oh, it's those bloody people again, right? Screw them. And it's just like, no, I mean, no sort of truck about it at all. It's like, we're just going to get on with it. And it's all really, really annoying. It's, um, so I, I think that that's a, that's a quite a natural reaction. That's good. But as I said, in the long term, I think... Defending things like free speech actually is really important. Defending the, the right of people to go out and have a good time, um, to you know do the wrong things, you know, whether they're unhealthy or not, <laughs> I don't care. Let's go out and have, let's party. And I think I think that an, an attitude of individual and collective liberty 
it is is possibly the best thing we could do in response to this. Obviously, we want to catch some of these people as well. Um, and it was really, as has been said earlier, really admire the the courage of those people who weren't prepared to just run away, but actually went and had a go back at great personal risk and cost to themselves. Uh, and I think your point earlier about how Theresa May is seemingly turning this all into great justifications for her to her plans for a second internet, uh, completely state controlled internet, uh, is kind of fickle and uh, goes against a lot of the values that we're trying to defend. So I think that's worth pointing out as well. Uh, so to link it back to the election, uh, we spoke after the Manchester attacks about how this might affect. Uh, the end result of the election obviously being so close the weekend before we go to the ballot box. Do you think that attacks are going to be a deciding factor in the election? Uh, I mean, one might have predicted prior to these attacks that attacks would have benefited Theresa May, given her sort of image as a strong woman and her uh, history in the Home Office, etc. But I think, I mean, I'd like to think at least that, especially her speech in the light of the attacks, people, it really, really wrung home, like wrong for me how like empty all of her rhetoric was when compared to her opening statement. So she made the right sort of opening statement about, oh yeah, this is an attack on our values and we need to go out and reassert some of our values. And then everything that came after that was about curbing liberty, was about shutting down the internet, was about increasing the monitoring of people. Was And you, I, the, there was like a real sense of dissonance in that speech. And I think one of the things this is continuing to show is just how little principle there is at the heart of May's politics. And I think in, whereas we might have thought that attacks would have given her a platform to capitalise on her strong woman image. I think actually this may well have the, the opposite effect and I don't see these attacks being particularly decisive in her favour and in fact may even count against her. Yeah, I think, I don't know, one thing I've noticed, especially in like the past day actually on my way here, was this whole hysteria around policing and the cost of policing and the fact that it's been slashed and now Corbyn's calling for May to stand down because she oversaw a lot of that. And I think that's one thing we need to be really careful of, that hysteria around, obviously, the police are important, that's an important factor. And it could you know, ultimately end up seeing her losing a lot of support because she oversaw it. But there are a lot of other factors at play here, factors that I think Corbyn and perhaps his supporters aren't really willing to say out loud. And I, well, I don't think the, the attacks will have the biggest impact on the outcome of the election, but it does come down to, I think, what our politicians are, are willing to say, what they're willing to suggest they're going to do about it. And at the moment, we've seen very little, apart from Theresa May saying she wants to curb our internet freedom. I haven't seen anything else from any other party. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really echo that because I think what it, it shows is the sort of disconnectedness of politicians from the sort of real substance of this problem. They, they reach for typical technocratic solutions to what is a, like, a much broader problem. So Corbyn thinks you can just throw more money at the police yeah. and then you won't have any attacks. And May thinks, oh, you can just sort of yeah. state regulate the internet, another like very technocratic measure, and that will curb the attacks. And we, there's a bit of a vacuum as to a genuine sort of political engagement with some of the ideas at the heart of this extremism. So Corbyn hasn't escaped unscathed, though, either from this, uh, even though he's been quite fr full-fronted on the attack of May on the police in question, uh, people are continuing to drag up things Corbyn has said in the past. Uh, BBC, one of their trending articles is Corbyn uh, laugh a year and a half ago, uh, saying that he was against shoot-to-kill policies, which isn't going to go down well within this context. Uh, Rob, do you think Corbyn can be trusted anymore or do you think the electorate think that he can? I don't particularly, I'm not particularly keen on the shoot to kill policies myself as it, as it goes. 
police, the police in a, a certain situation should use their judgments about whether they have to kill somebody or can take them down or whatever. And I don't know whether Corbyn really went very much further than that, but I th- and it speaks a little bit to the kind of shallowness of the campaign and, and, and the way in which the Tories are trying to deal with Corbyn, that it all, it's all coming back to, you used to support the IRA, um, you know, you're going to be soft on terrorism and all this stuff. And I'm not sure that, that really washes with people. I mean, they may, may or may not like Jeremy Corbyn and they may, may or may not think that he's been far too soft and sort of various different organisations down the years. But I'm not sure that that's really washing with, with, with people's sense of what this election is about, really. And um, I think Corbyn, to a degree, has chimed in with a, with a kind of populist, not more of the same thing. Even though his policies are actually quite conservative, they're a real throwback. Mm-hmm. Um, he does sound different and he does appear, yeah, especially when he's working the crowds, appear to be just much more genuine than than May. And I don't think that the, these kind of attacks really are going to make much of a dent in the kind of people who are going to support Jeremy Corbyn anyway. And he's kind of right to question Shootsville because a member of the public was injured on Saturday night by police bullets. And the whole reason that this sort of came back into the, into the mainstream conversation again is because he retracted the statements because the context mm. has obviously changed. Yeah. And I find it incredibly boring and incredibly frustrating when the, the media and many people in, in the spotlight are just focusing on what Corbyn said or what Corbyn's done like five, six years ago. Like, let's focus on the now, let's focus on what he's suggesting now rather than constantly dragging up all dirt. So are there any other big deciding factors we think that might affect the result? Uh, there's been a lot of talk about turnout, particularly amongst young people. Uh, there's varying statistics which get thrown around that if this percent more young people vote, Corbyn will win. Uh, do you think there's any other big thing which will affect the way that the result goes, or do you think anyone has any time left to even campaign and change the result? Mm. Well, I mean, there was a little bit of talk before um, the terrorist attack that May was going to sort of relaunch back and try and take the election back to Brexit. Um, And I mean, there may well not be any time left to do that, but I think given the like lot the great support for Brexit that was enjoyed both at the referendum and also subsequently when people have realised this is something we need to get on with, I think if the politicians can put some of the themes from the attack and that cheap point scoring put that away for a while and if it can come back to Brexit, I think that could be the, the, the last sort of kick that maybe the May support needs. The, the, the real problem for Theresa May is that she started out this campaign making this election very much about her, about you know strong and stable and all that sort of stuff. And she's really blown it um, in that regard because you know the, I mean the social care U-turn was the biggie, but she just looks like like a rabbit caught in the headlights every time I see her on TV. She never looks entirely comfortable. She looks like she's going to evacuate her bowels every time she looks she meets a member of the public um so it's so she's just she's really unconvincing and all that sort of stuff and so it's very difficult for them to like turn the whole thing around and say oh no but you have to vote for me because i will deliver the right brexit outcome the one that you voted for i think ultimately that will be the thing that decides things and that for all the, the, those problems, I think the Conservatives will be more trusted by people over Brexit and the people who are, are most concerned about Brexit, the people who voted Leave, are much more 
definite in how they're going to vote, more passionate in how they're going to vote. Whereas I think for people who wanted to remain, I think their votes will be scattered a little bit more broadly. Um, and therefore, um, I think that will be the determining factor. I've still yet to see an opinion poll that uh, puts Corbyn in the lead or even close. The, you know, the most extreme seems to be a hung parliament. Mm. An awful lot of the polls are still showing a reasonably healthy Tory lead. Um, I, th- I suspect she'll end up with a slightly bigger majority, but nothing like the huge avalanche that she might have expected at the start, and that's because of a completely misguided campaign, one built on her personality, which turns out to be weak and wobbly rather than strong and stable. I completely agree with you, actually. I think I'm not a fan of personality politics at all. I think it should all be about policy, but unfortunately she's only got herself to blame with this one. She shot herself in the foot by making it all about her and her team when really it's um, come to light that she's very weak and wobbly rather than strong and stable. Um, I read a great piece on her over the weekend, actually, by Michael Deacon in The Telegraph, and he compared her to a GCSE student who revises all this content and can say it but doesn't actually know what they're meaning and they're about to implode with all this information but there's actually no like sincerity behind it so I completely see that I think one thing this election has shown for me is her personality she is incredibly insecure I think in in her policies and, and how she wants to carry them through and I don't think that is the best thing to be giving off to the electorate a few weeks before a general election. Uh, so something we haven't talked about yet on this podcast uh, are the polls and if we can trust them uh, or not. Uh, polls uh, have been wrong for the Brexit vote, they were wrong for the 2010 election. Uh, one thing which tends to happen in UK politics is that there's always a slight disparity from what the polls say uh, to the actual vote towards the right, towards the Conservatives, due to this phenomenon of shy Tories. Do you think we could be in for a shock this time? Do you think uh, that Corbyn could win? Or do you think that we will just inevitably have another shy Tory turnout which carries them over the line? Well, I mean, one of the things I've been slightly... um, I've enjoyed in this election slightly, especially amongst people I talk to, it's still the case in the media, obviously, but I think people are slightly starting to get slightly sick and tired of the idea that you just watch the polls. And that the election is not about having a debate, it's about just like sort of predicting what's going to happen. And because uh, I think, firstly, that was shown to be sort of, as people recognise that that's quite apolitical. But secondly, they're the polls and people know that they can go wrong and there's been a, a huge like upsets in polls recently. And I think that this question, this whole question of like what are the polls going to do, should we just sit there and watch the polls, is like deeply misguided and we should try and avoid really talk, like predicting the election and get on to trying to win the election for the things that you believe in. Yeah, I'm actually quite surprised we're still back having this conversation because the past year, if anything, has shown that the polls, um, you cannot listen to them, they cannot predict politics, and politics is largely unpredictable. So I'm surprised that we're still putting as much faith in them, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, they don't, the pollsters don't know who they're polling. That's the, the problem. <laughs> because they, they used to be able to put us all into neat little boxes that were relatively predictable. But the re- especially with the Brexit referendum, it's like... it's. Uh, how do you sample for you know? How do you know how people are going to react to things? Um, and so that's why uh, you know, they're all over the place. And whatever happens, there'll be some major um, post mortem inquiry into the nature of the polls. And I, I think that, that in, in that respect, in terms of what might actually happen, it's very interesting when you political reporters that then turn to a different source of information. So they say. 
I've been talking to pri- to Labour people privately and they're not seeing a bounce or they're not seeing much of a bounce and they think we're going to get hammered anyway. And your own instincts as well, that people, pro- most people will probably have made their mind up quite early on, even before the, the, the thing was announced. I suspect fairly strongly that, that Theresa May is going to win comfortably and that, that nothing that's really cha- has changed about that. And the kind of people who say, I'm going to vote for Corbyn are also... A, not particularly committed to Corbyn, a lot of them, and B, not necessarily going to vote. So the only thing we can say for certain is what is, is the result on Thursday and everything else is just um, just speculation, really. So all that being said, and it's been mentioned already, one YouGov poll predicted a hung parliament. If that comes to happen, what could end up being quite important is the vote north of the border in Scotland. Uh, if the SNP are a similarly large force, which by all measures seems is probably going to happen again, uh, then they seem the most comfortable bedfellows with Labour. I don't think it would ever happen with the Conservatives. Uh, so Rob is our resident Scotland dweller. <laughs> Tell us what's happening north of the border. Does Davidson have a chance to upset or even challenge Surgeon? Well, I think if you were if if you hadn't had the result in twenty fifteen, then you would say the SNP are absolutely knocking it out of the park. Mm. They are going to win in the high forties in terms of um, seats, and it's only the fact that they won uh, so so many in um, twenty fifteen that, that would make that look like a little bit of a backward step mm. in terms of their share of the vote. It might slip a little bit, but it's not going to fall massively. I think the the big story continues to be the decline of Scottish Labour, mm. um, and so they could very well. I mean, they're, they're they're desperately trying to hang on to the one seat that they have in Scotland, which it happens to be in the constituency that I live in in Edinburgh, um, and I think they've a reasonable reasonably good chance of doing that. But there is no momentum there. It's a completely defensive campaign to try and hang on, uh, and. The, you know, the Conservatives do you know do still have a bit of momentum behind them. They are seen as the most realistic unionist party to um, make a dent in the SNP's vote. And everything that Theresa May is not in terms of public profile, Ruth Davidson is. She's very comfortable with people. She's occasionally amusing. She's got the right kind of backstories as like she's uh, a jovial lesbian leading the Conservative Party. You know, who'd have thunk it 30 years ago? <laughs> so... Um, it's uh, so in in terms of uh, of having a figurehead, she's um, a, a far more consummate performer than Kezia Dugdale for for Labour uh, or even Sturgeon, um, who who should be very very confident, but is you know is always a bit kind of awkward and uh, formal in uh, the ways that she comes across. So I think the Conservatives could make a a, a significant dent, and and for them to come come back from having you know, one MP for a long time or even none to win, winning anything between half a dozen and a dozen seats would be regarded as a, a major victory and could obviously have a significant impact on the, the sort of post-election maths in terms of the, the, the Tory majority in, in Westminster. And even though uh, down here we, this election has been very much been called the Brexit election, Scotland voted overwhelmingly to stay in the European Union. Uh, what is is this considered a done issue in Scotland now? Is Brexit accepted? Is it going to happen, uh, or is it now inevitably tied to the independence question? Is this just another independence election for Scotland? Um, I, I... I think that Brexit itself is probably regarded as a done deal. Uh, I think that 
that's why you have the SNP tying themselves up in knots about exactly what kind of soft Brexit they're going for. Uh, or whether they could maybe stay in the customs union, even though the rest of the UK is out of it, or, or yeah, or like using it as an excuse, obviously, for independence in, in their own right. But I'm I'm not got any great sense that, that that Brexit is more or less an issue in Scotland than anywhere else. Um, and I think there's still you know the, the other referendum, the 20, mm. 2014 referendum on uh, in, uh, independence. I think that's probably a bigger factor in the, the um, election than, um, than, than the Brexit referendum. And the opinion polls on that seem to be pretty stable, really. It's, a, it's similar to the outcome uh, in, in that referendum, 55-45 in favour of the union. And I think there's a lot of people who will see the, the SNP as a real threat and maybe change their vote in order to try and keep as few uh, SNP people in uh, Westminster as possible. So, as this is our last podcast before we will find out uh, the election results, uh, I wanted to go to you all to finish up uh, to ask you why, uh, on what lines you think people should vote. Why should people vote for certain candidates? What should be their motivation to go out and vote for anyone? Uh, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, I've been on a stuck between a bit of a rock and hard place with this because I'm a big Brexiteer and the only party that is supposedly representing that are the Conservatives but I've never voted Conservative in my life and there's a lot that they represent both within their manifesto and I suppose the image that I disagree with but as I have been told several times by many (laughs) very well um, read people now, this election is about voting for democracy and it's almost about throwing off all your sort of previous assumptions about certain parties or certain politicians and voting for the party or the candidate that is going to defend Brexit. And for me, unfortunately, that is the, the Conservatives. <laughs> Rob? Um, well, I mean, I have exactly the same dilemma as Izzy. Uh, I, I mean, Theresa May, I just think, is an appalling politician. Uh, Devoid of principles, as has been said, you know, and where she where she has a, any big ideas of her own, they're usually illiberal, and uh, would actually lead to less freedom rather than more. So, um, from the, the, that point of view, I mean, like, there's just nothing to redeem the the, the, the current conservative platform at, at the moment. However, I think that we do have to accept this is a very very unusual election. And that if there was any sort of a vote for, for example, that ended up with a kind of coalition of Jeremy Corbyn and, and Nicola Sturgeon and a handful of others, then um, that would be that would effectively undermine the, the referendum vote. And that's such a historically important vote that I really wouldn't want that to happen. And on top of that, the one Labour MP in Scotland, um, who is my, who's my local MP at the moment, proudly proclaims that he voted against invoking <laughs> Article 50. So on that that basis, I certainly won't be voting for him, um, and I will seek to find the most pro-Brexit candidate in my constituency. I have to say that's probably going to be the Conservative, and I will be if I do vote Conservative, it will be with my nose sort of not not just like held but like you know stuck down sealed with uh, you know all sorts of different devices um because it, it will be uh, with a very heavy heart indeed um so I'd, I'd, I'd echo a lot of that and i think obviously brexit still remains um the most important thing that can uh that can sway the election but 
and especially in the light of the terrorist attacks, I think it's really important to recognise that if you do want to vote for Brexit, don't just vote, and I, this is how I think I'm leaning now, don't just vote for the Conservatives because they'll bring Brexit in. If your candidate is has no track record on democracy or liberty mm -hmm. and is just going to be someone who might be part of a Conservative government and might push through with the kind of Brexit that you'd want, don't vote for them. I'd, I would I will rather people didn't vote to empower a group of people within the Conservative Party who have no respect for democracy really, have very little interest in personal liberties. I think it's still important if you don't believe that you can align yourself with someone's politics to withhold your vote, even if that might mean uh, uh, putting aside or making it slightly more difficult for Brexit to come about. Yeah, uh, I think that's very worth echoing. Uh, in a constituency of that ilk, I will not be voting or maybe spoiling my ballot paper. So. Uh, I think that's a legitimate political act as well. Uh, so uh, that's it now before Thursday uh, and we will be doing a post-election podcast in the week after the election uh, where we may be living in a very different world than one we're living in today. If you want to hear more of our archive or our other election series podcasts, go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcasts or subscribe on iTunes.